Please turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. We will be looking at this chapter in its entirety. This is one of the uh, great chapters of the Scripture. And as we talked about before, as we went over the burnt offering uh, beforehand, of how the burnt offering uh, is, is foreshadowing that of Christ in types and shadows, this one is, is really no different. It even adds even more to our understanding. And it's very important for us, again, as we're looking at these Old Testament themes, these, these practices, all of this that is pointing us to the Lord Jesus, these are often the areas in which we neglect. As we had talked about beforehand, there are, I think, over 40 references in the New Testament to this book alone. It is a very important book, but one that is neglected. Uh, Usually, if you have people that want to start out reading the Scripture, they want to start in Genesis and they want to move on through. They'll get through Genesis, they'll get through Exodus, they'll start really slowing down in, in Leviticus and Numbers, and possibly we'll get to Deuteronomy But these are some of those books that people just say, I don't really get it. I don't really understand the significance of it or don't understand how it's applicable to us today. Uh, And and indeed, some of these things are for, uh, or rather, regulations under the Old Covenant, of course. But the book of Leviticus especially emphasizes the holiness of God, probably more so than any other book. Emphasizes the holiness of the worshiper of how they are to walk holy before the Lord. Because the question comes up, especially under the Old Covenant, how may man have fellowship with God? Well, passages like ours tonight help us to understand that. And again, these things that we're reading here are all foreshadowing Christ. And it gives us an even deeper understanding of the work of Christ and the coming of Christ and all that He accomplished. And it is, again... Types and shadows, but it points us to the majestic work of our Lord Jesus. It really shows us much about the holiness of God, the depravity of man, but his redemptive work especially. So, let's look at this particular chapter as it has reference for us in the New Testament, and that's the point. As we're going over these particular circumstances or situations or people or practices We want to understand that when we get to the New Testament, when it makes reference to these, we want to understand what's going on so we have a fuller understanding. Here in Leviticus chapter 16, that's exactly what we are looking at here. So if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We will read the whole chapter of Leviticus chapter 16. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. Let us give our attention to the Word of God. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, 
He shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body. And he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are the holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. He shall take a firepan full of coals of fire from the altar, from upon the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony. Otherwise, he will die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood and of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat. On the east side, also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. When he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. With his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it, from, and, <clears throat> and from the impurities of the sons of Israel consecrate it. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the, uh, the, head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness." Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. He shall bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes, and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he shall offer up and smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The one who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes clothes and bathe his body with water then afterward he shall come into the camp but the bull of the sin offering 
and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp, and they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. Then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water, then afterward he shall come into the camp. This shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble, humble your souls and not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you that you may humble yourselves, humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. So the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for all that it teaches us of the holiness of our God. What is necessary for us to come into your presence, to be accepted by you, to be received by you. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts and illuminate it in our hearts that we may carry it out, that we may look to you even more so with adoration, with gratefulness, with thanksgiving for all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Father, be with us. Guide our thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Now, this day that is being spoken of here, of course, is the Day of Atonement. This is the day in which the sacrifices would be done on behalf of the people of Israel. Purifications will be made on behalf of the people of Israel. <clears throat> now, when this first begins, it makes reference to something that had happened earlier in the book of Leviticus. He says at the beginning that the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. Now, if we just go back a little bit to Leviticus chapter 10, we read of what had happened here. This is with Nadab and Abihu. These are the sons of Aaron. In verse 1, we read... Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective fire pans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now if we read on a little, Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So Aaron, therefore, kept silent. Now, his sons were trained in order to, to offer sacrifices before the Lord. His sons were trained just as he was in order to, 
perform the burnt offerings and the sin offerings and the grain offerings and all the offerings that we had read there at the beginning of Leviticus. But these were insufficient. These particular sacrifices were insufficient. Even if you had brought before the Lord a guilt offering and you had committed great sin against the Lord, you could offer this, this animal in your place. But at the same time, it only covers that specific sin, if you will. You still sin daily. You still have continual sin. So what do you do about it? Now, the situation that had happened with Nadab and Abihu was a very serious error on their part. We don't really know what had happened. We don't know if they had mixed the incense different, maybe in a way that they had not been prescribed by the Lord. We don't know if they went in with a, an attitude of haughtiness or maybe they had entered in uh, before the Lord with, Whatever. We don't know. We don't know what it means necessarily that they offered strange fire before the Lord, but it was such an offense to the Lord because of their sin that he consumes them. And then you come into chapter 16 in which now in light of these events here, in light of even the sacrifices that were mentioned earlier, in light of the sin of the priests that had just died, here's how we deal with it. And so the Lord institutes this specific uh, rite, which is offering this one time a year, the Day of Atonement. This is the climax of Israel's sanctification, of their purification once every year. The high priest is going to go in. He's going to make atonement for himself, and he's going to make atonement on behalf of all the people of Israel for all their sins. It's not just the worshiper coming before the Lord now. They have done something. They've committed a great offense to the Lord, and so they individually bring their specific sacrifice to the Lord to offer it in place of what they've done this is for all their sin, the unconfessed sin, the sin that they do continually, daily. And this is what it takes in order to come into the presence of God, to be referred to as his people, for him to be their God. He is holy. Now, how is it that sinners can come before him? And there must be sacrifice, and that's the point of what he's getting at here in chapter 16. This is what is necessary. And throughout these scriptures here throughout these verses we see a number of different things of the necessity of the priest and his purification though he's still still not fully purified as we understand from the new testament the blood of bulls and goats could not make anyone perfect but we see the that sin is something to be taken very it's not to be taken lightly it is a serious offense against the lord and as a result these are the things that is that are necessary to come into his presence to be accepted by him. So that's one of the first things that he begins in light of all of these other things. When Aaron comes before the Lord in order to make atonement, he himself must be purified. Now, there's a lot of things that he has to do here, which is really indicative of the fact the Lord just doesn't accept anything. The Lord doesn't accept just coming before him casually in this kind of a way. Flippantly, the Lord expects us to come in such a way as to honor his name that our hearts are full of adoration and, and appreciation and thankfulness of the grace of God to come in, in a way of worship before him. Here's the things that are necessary for Aaron in order to even prepare to perform his duties on behalf of the people. He has to take a bull and a ram. He has to offer them specifically just for himself. 
He puts on these specific garments that the Lord has required of him, these white linen garments that signify purity. He has to bathe himself. All of these things which is representative of a cleansing. There has to be a cleansing here. He has to come before the Lord clean. Again, because the Lord, the Lord is holy. He's in a category all to himself. The epitome of purity. How can one who is impure come before him? These are the necessary steps in order to signify something else, but these are the necessary steps at this particular time. Now think of this. If Aaron is the high priest for 40 years, whatever it is, this is one time every year that Aaron puts on these specific special garments, has to offer a bull, offer a ram in place of himself to sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, to sprinkle it on the mercy seat, being reminded year after year after year that this is a necessary action, a necessary act of worship in order to come before the presence of God. And so every year he goes in there 40 times, let's say 40 years, that's 40 times. Every year he goes in, he sees the blood of the previous year or the previous years, a continual reminder to him of his own impurity because he has to offer this for himself before he even offers it on behalf of the people. He, as a high priest, is ineffective in order to truly bring about atonement on behalf of the people before the Lord. A continual reminder. These sacrifices are incomplete. His work is incomplete. A continual reminder every year. Maybe at some point could he have thought to himself, maybe this is pointing to something more. This is pointing to something greater than me. If the blood of bulls and goats was able to to cleanse from sin, it wouldn't have to be done every single year to make a covering. It wouldn't be necessary for Aaron to go through all of these things every year if he himself was truly worthy in and of himself to come before the Lord. But because he has to do these things, it, it reminds him, as it reminds the people, of the great offense that they commit every day against the holy God. This isn't the, like the God of the pagans who, who you can come any way you desire. This is a God who demands you cleanse yourself in this specific way as I have commanded you, then you may come. And so Aaron has to follow these Every year. He is ineffective. He is a sinner who needs atonement as well, made for him. So these are the things that he does. Every year he has to bathe, puts on the garments, he makes atonement for himself. He he adds the altar or adds the incense on the altar. Otherwise he'll die. Even the one who is serving as the high priest of the Lord, the one who is trying to perform his duties, being faithful, 
If he does not go by what the Lord has said here, the text says he will die. Why? Even for Aaron, because of this very fact that has been emphasized already, God is holy. Never are we good in and of ourselves, even, even when we think that we are walking before the Lord in such a way that we pat ourselves on the back. There's, there is never a time in which we have arrived that we can come any way that we want to before the Lord. He says, you come as I have commanded you. And so Aaron follows these specific commands of the Lord, reminded every year, making atonement for himself. The earlier sacrifices were not sufficient enough. There had to be one specific day in which all the sins would be dealt with, even for him. Now, it's interesting. Not only does he have to do all of these things specifically for himself, but he also has to make atonement for the mercy seat, for the altar, all of these things. Verse 14 tells us that he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side and also in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. There is a necessity on his part even to sprinkle the objects of worship. Why? Because he says he, in verse 16, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regards to all their sins. And thus he shall do for the tent of meeting which abides with them in the midst of their impurities. We take sin very lightly. That's the problem. And this specific passage is teaching us to do otherwise. There is a necessity on the part of Aaron to cleanse the mercy seat. The mercy seat was where on the Ark of the Covenant where the wings of the cherubim would touch. This was regarded as the mercy seat, the area above it. He has to do it for the tent of meeting. Just because it is in the midst of impure people, because it has been in the midst of, of Israel, his own people, and because of all their sin, it has to be cleansed too. Because the Lord will be regarded as holy. And this is signifying you're not holy and you taint everything else. Sin, again, is, is like what R.C. Sproul says, is cosmic treason. It's not something to take lightly. It's not something to wink at. It's not something to give a pass to or to give our own selves a pass to. We have to recognize that sin is an offense to God. And it's to be taken seriously. I mean, look at what he has to do just on the Day of Atonement. Because it's a serious matter. Sin is a serious matter. We take things very lightly. That's the problem. Well, if I just do this, then it's... It's not really a big deal. Well, if I say that, that's not really a big deal. There's so many things that, that we give ourselves a pass to. Well, surely because for us, we would use the excuse, and I hope we don't, but we would use the excuse, well, I'm under grace. And because I'm under grace, these things are not 
not that serious. But what we have to understand is they were under grace too. The same grace that we have received is the same grace that they had received. And through these specific rituals and these ceremonies, it taught them this. God is not like any other God. He's not like you. You, in and of yourselves, are an offense to Him. But for our ideas of things, again, well, God forgives us. God's going to forgive us. And on and on we go. But how often do we take the thought, Lord, forgive me for saying that? While most people would think it's such a small matter, forgive me for that. Forgive me for watching that. Forgive me for doing that. You know, we look at that situation perhaps even with uh, Nadab and Abihu. We don't really know necessarily what had happened. We would give them a pass. We would say, well, they didn't mean to when they had been given serious or specific instructions on how to offer incense before the Lord and how to come before the Lord and all of this. And what happens? The Lord strikes them dead. It's the same thing with Uzzah. When they're bringing in the ark and... and it's on the wagon and they're, they're traveling along and then Uzzah puts out his hand just to steady it because perhaps it might fall over. And what happens? God strikes him dead. Maybe the, he had good intentions. Maybe Nadab and Abihu had good intentions. Actually, some theologians would say that perhaps Nadab and Abihu had come before the Lord at a time in which he did not command because of what is said to Aaron at the, the beginning of Leviticus 16. Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to enter at any time into the holy place right after that is mentioned about Nadab and Abihu. Maybe that's all they did. Maybe they went in when they weren't supposed to. But in any event, we would say, well, that's, that's pretty harsh. But when we're talking about a holy God, a God who is holy, Set apart, category all to himself, epitome of purity, perfection. In him, there is no darkness. Anything less than that is an offense to him. The things that are there in the midst of Israel themselves need to be cleansed with the blood of an innocent because of the impurities of the living. How vile we truly are, but we don't consider ourselves to be that. We think very highly of ourselves. But dear friends, when was the last time that you really poured out your heart before the Lord, understanding that the things that we do every day and the, 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 everything, the forgive me for the impure thoughts or whatever the case may be, Forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for my bitterness. I mean, how often do we really stop and say, Lord, this is really an offense to you. This isn't to be taken lightly that I just continue to do it. This is something, Lord, help me to stop doing this because I recognize how much it is offensive to you. We don't do that. Lord, forgive me, but I'm going to do it again the next day. 
Lord, forgive me, but in a few more hours, I'm going to do it again. Lord, forgive me because that's what I'm supposed to say. You know, the great blessing of salvation in itself is that we've been delivered in spite of ourselves from the wrath of God. We've been granted grace. We've been granted mercy. Not to continue doing what we normally do, but to, to have a new path that is made for us by the Holy Spirit of God who gives us new desires and gives us a new way to go. We don't remain in the old place. We, we move on into the new as the Spirit is guiding us. We're, we're privileged to do that. We're privileged to live in a way that is pleasing before God by the Spirit of God. But we like to remain where we were beforehand, not recognizing just how much we grieve the Lord. This is how much sin is, is, is a serious matter. As you're looking at all these things and the necessities of cleansing all of these things that are just objects, but because they're in the midst of the people that are sinful, they have to be consecrated as well. Now, there are a few animals that are involved on this day. You have the bull, you have two goats, you have two rams. Aaron's going to make atonement for himself. He's going to go in. He's going to make atonement on behalf of the people for all their sins. But this is amazing in how this is, again, pointing to our, our Lord Jesus, not only for the role of the high priest, which we'll get into in just a moment, but for the, the goats, the one that is used for the sin offering itself and the one that is used as the scapegoat. Now, imagine, now picture this scene. We have... The high priest, he has two goats that are given to him by the congregation. He casts lots. One of them is going to be for the sin offering. One of them is going to be for the scapegoat. Now, he's going to take the scapegoat, the live goat. He's going to put his hands on the goat's head. The, the blood's still on his hands, perhaps. He puts his hands on the goat, and he's going to confess over the goat all the sins of the people. Now, this isn't something to take lightly either. Think of this. Putting your hands on the head of the goat. Lord, we have been unfaithful to you. We have had idolatrous thoughts. We have had impure thoughts. We have not done right by you. We have followed after our own desires. We have not cherished you as we should have. Think of this. The sins of the people are confessed over this goat in view of those things. This goat, this animal, is going to be led outside the camp by someone who is appointed for that specific task and going to be sent out into the wilderness. The other is going to be used for the sin offering on behalf of the people. So not only do we have to symbolically impute our sins to a scapegoat, to an animal, but now another animal is going to be sacrificed in place of us. This animal is going to receive death because that's what we deserve. Now, 
This is a scene, this is a bloody scene. This isn't a scene in which you would look at and say, wow, this is really amazing. I can't wait to do this next year. This is, this is a gruesome scene. But it is a demonstration of this is what is necessary because of your sin that has separated you from God. That's why on this specific day, this is, this is some of your translations may say for the people not only to humble themselves but to afflict themselves. This is a day of a, this is a high Sabbath. This is a day in which no work is to be done. This is a day in which they, they have their attitudes of repentance. They fast. This isn't just a day as any other. This is a day in which serious matters are being taken care of. In order that they may continue being in covenant with the Lord. To be his people and for him to be their God. Now, all of that, again, it's bloody. It's not something that we would look forward to, perhaps. It's not a pretty sight. But it is foreshadowing a greater reality that would come through Christ. Because Christ is going to be our great high priest. Who's going to be the pure and perfect and altogether righteous mediator between God and men. The one who is going to be the perfect representative of both. Who has no need to make atonement for himself. He is the one. The spotless, unblemished Lamb of God. He's the one who will enter into the veil not made with hands and offer himself. He will be the true mediator. The one who is able to reconcile the two. He is truly God, as we've talked about before. He's truly man. And that's the thing of the writer of Hebrews, as he talks about those that are chosen from among men to perform the duties of high priest. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weaknesses. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. A high priest was one who could, who could sympathize with others, who understood because he himself was a man. That's where Christ himself, being truly man, is able then to understand our weaknesses and our infirmities because he was really a man. He is the God-man, perfect representative of humanity, he wasn't just a shell with divinity. He was truly a man. Truly God. Truly man. Human emotions. He's really a man. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got tired. He experienced joy. He experienced disappointment. He experienced those emotions. So he is able to sympathize with us and our weaknesses as well. But he was the perfect one. The God-man able to reconcile God and man. The only mediator that is worthy to make true atonement on behalf of this people. The, high, the role of the high priest is pointing to him. It's, 
It's signifying him. It's a shadow of what he would accomplish. Not only the high priest, but the goat that is taken to make atonement. Not only the goat that is taken to make atonement, but the goat that is taken as the scapegoat is both signifying, both pointing to him as well. Because the scripture tells us that the Lord laid all the iniquities on him. It's as if the father put his hands on the head of his son and imputed all the unrighteousness of his people to him. And that happened outside the camp, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. Christ was taken outside the camp, just as the scapegoat. Our Lord died as the substitute. Our Lord died as the spotless Lamb of God on behalf of all the people. And by doing so, there was no need ever again for another atonement, for another sacrifice. Because by his one offering, the scripture tells us, he perfected all that are his. So in, in Christ, there was, there's never a need again to repeat, to repeat the act, to repeat a sacrifice. That's one reason why when you're talking about the Roman church, that's one reason why it's such a great offense to take of the mass. Because the mass is regarded as another sacrifice. Not just as we take the bread and the cup and we're recognizing the work of Christ and it's the visible sermon of what he had accomplished in all of this, but they regard it as a real sacrifice, a bloodless sacrifice, where the priest calls down the body of Christ. He gave himself once. And his offering was so great, so infinitely valuable, that it only took one time to truly perfect you and I, which couldn't be done during this time. Every year this was done, it was a reminder to them of their impurity, of their need for continued atonement, continued cleansing. But by the one act of Christ, he has forever perfected those that are his. Our unrighteousness was imputed to him, but his righteousness was imputed to us. He died the death that we deserved in order that we may have life. There is so much of these particular passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that point us directly to the salvific work of Christ, to his great redemption for us. But the very thing that it also teaches us, though we, we rejoice in the Lord, we rejoice in the cross, we rejoice that it was only one sacrifice and all of this, it still has to get into our minds that there is still the sin issue that we like to take very lightly because of His one offering. Passages like these, I pray, teach us of the seriousness of sin. Have we been forgiven? Absolutely, we've been forgiven. Has Christ died for our sins, past, present, future? Yes, He has, absolutely. Not so that we may remain where we are, or not so that we may remain in the sin, but that we may be delivered from it. That's where we don't give ourselves a pass. That's why we don't take it lightly. Recognize, dear friends, that Christ did not die and endure the very wrath of His Father so that we can continue doing those things that he was punished for. 
we may be delivered and have the newness of life. To walk before the Lord in the newness of life. To be new creatures, new creations in Him. Though we still battle, we still contend with ourselves, there must be the progression. If you are still in the same way as to what you were when you were converted, then there's a problem. There must be that progression. That's that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit of God, making us more like Christ, conforming us to His image, and suppressing sin, suppressing the flesh, that we may please our Lord and walk worthy of our calling. One other thing to point out as well, just because can't really get around that either, by all means, this was an atonement that was made only for the people of Israel. This atonement was not made for the pagans. It wasn't made for the other nations. It was made only for the people of Israel. If we have a difficult uh, a difficulty with the whole doctrine of election and Christ making atonement only for those that the Father had given to him, then we need to have problems with passages like this too. The problem is we don't. We're happy to say Israel is God's chosen people and atonement was made on their behalf, but that then connects us into the new. True atonement, a real death for sin was made on behalf of those that the Father had given to the Son. If we generalize it, as it wasn't general here, this is for a specific nation only, if we generalize the work of Christ, and we say that Christ died for every single person, past, present, and future, we're saying he died for nobody in particular. We're saying his death was a potential death, not a real death for sin. He entered through the veil and offered his blood, offered his very life, specifically for his sheep, for those that the Father gave to him. This isn't a general atonement. That's what enhances the grace of God even more to know is that this is, this is not just generally there that I may tap into it if I choose. This is, this is what God Himself has brought about in His sovereign decree and in His sovereign grace extended it to those who have received it. This only enhances, I pray, only enhances our gratefulness and thankfulness unto the Lord for this true sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, His true mediating work as our high priest, for taking upon Himself our sin and receiving the punishment that we deserved. So therefore, in light of that, the Scripture tells us, walk worthy of our calling. To please the Lord, not be men-pleasers, but to please the Lord. Offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice that is acceptable unto the Lord. Not to remain in sin under its dominion, you've been delivered from it. But to walk in the newness of life to please our Lord. So many passages like this, dear friends, again, teach us so much. And I pray that we wouldn't ignore them or pass over them, but to continually dig into these to see the richness of the grace of God that is there. Let's pray together.
Gracious God and our Father, we thank you for all that you are. Thank you for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus, into the world to bring about true atonement. That our sins would be truly forgiven in him. Thank you for that gift of grace. Father, let us not take this so lightly, so as if it's if it's nothing. I pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would would convict our hearts so greatly of the sin that we dismiss every day. But that we would try even more by the strength of the Spirit in order to please you, to recognize your holiness and what a privilege that we have to know you and to serve you. Thank you for making the way that we may come boldly before your throne of grace to receive grace, to receive mercy, to receive your love. Let us not take it for granted, but, Father, to live each day in view of it, that our hearts would be lifted up to praise you every day for every breath you allow. Father, to you be the praise, the glory, and the honor in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention. You are dismissed.